0: Um, Awesome. Oh, man. Uh, I do encourage y'all this Tuesday, y'all definitely make an effort, try and get out to the the food pantry. They are doing a phenomenal ministry right here in Paris, Texas. If you haven't been over there or it's been a while, uh, man, what they are able to do on a weekly basis, the number of lives, the number of people that they're able to touch is phenomenal. We could start our own little something, but why when somebody else is already doing a phenomenal job we want to get behind what they're doing. We want to promote them, push, and, and so uh, I encourage you all come out Tuesday night directly over at the food pantry, and and uh, we're going to help stock the shelves, be a part of what they're doing. So join us. It's going to be a good time. Today, I'm excited to start a, a series called Relationships. This is a, a series, if you've been to church here for longer than a year, uh, you've already heard this series. This is something we intentionally talk about every year, every year around about this time, somewhere uh, beginning of the year, going into somewhere around March, we'll we'll go through a series we call the eight relationship principles. These are principles that we, as a church, choose to live by. Um, this is a series we do because life is about relationships. Life, everything that we deal with, everything that we do on a daily basis, the people we encounter, life is a series of relationships. Good relationships, bad relationships. Relationships that you wished would, would last forever, relationships you, you may wish never happened. Either way, life is about relationships. And if we're going to live daily in relationships, then we probably ought to know how we should live in relationships. Because relationships take work. The reason relationships turn bad, the reason relationships turn sour is because relationships, there, were, there wasn't any effort, there wasn't any work that was put into it. Either that or, or maybe it was one-sided. Relationships take a lot of work. If you don't work at a relationship, eventually it will deteriorate. In fact, over just the, uh, the last probably two weeks, uh, I, I've sat and had meetings with, with probably at least three people, I, I can for sure count. That the, the issue, the topic that we were dealing with directly was influenced or affected by relationships. Relationships. We don't like to let people in. A lot of times, one of the go-to phrases I, I immediately hear is, is, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a quiet person. I, I, don't, I don't like to, you know, broadcast there. And I hear that. I, I am too. But, but regardless, whether, whether you're a, a quiet person, your life is still going to be involved with relationships. We don't like to, to well, I don't want to bother anybody with, with my issues, with my problems. But as we learned in the video last week, our lives are about sharing the story from the middle, not the end. We all want to wait for that happy ending to be able to tell everybody how it turned out, but but that's not what life is about. Life is about from the very center, from right in the middle of wherever you're at, it's about sharing your story. It's about encouraging people around you. Relationships are everywhere. And whether you like it or not, you have to deal with them. God Never created us to be recluses. Now, hear me, it's good to get away. It's good to have quiet time. Yes, there's times when you should get away from people, get away from the noise. Jesus himself said, I want to go up to the mountaintop. I want to pray. I want to be before God. But why? Why did he do that? Why did he go to the mountaintop? So he could get refreshed, so he could go back down and refill. Your quiet times, those moments, those intimate moments with God are for the sole purpose of being refreshed so you can refill. Relationships is what life is all about. If we view relationships as a tool to get what we need, you will always be left wanting. As long as you view relationships as something that other other people are supposed to do for you, you're always going to be left wanting. But when we use relationships to pour into others, to encourage one another, to build each other up in the faith, when you use relationships as a tool to God to fill you up and you to pour out into others, only then will you find that you cannot outpour God. Can you imagine, can you imagine if the sum of all your relationships in life brought you nothing but joy? Now, immediately, we're probably rolling our eyes. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the day but can you imagine if the sum of all your relationships if every relationship in your life if every relationship in your life it it, it brought you nothing but joy and no more stress how many of you would be willing to say that you have relationships that cause you stress for those that didn't raise your hands you were the one causing the stress in the rest of our lives uh there's there's jokes i mean you can pull it up on the internet they they, ministry is a great one they say you know ministry would be awesome if it weren't for people (laughs) work work would be awesome if you didn't have to deal with people life life would be awesome if you didn't have to deal with people but we do don't we we have to deal with people so, what if there was a way that all of our relationships could bring us joy and no longer stress? There's a, a quote I was reading the other day by Max Lucato. He said this What did Jesus know that enabled him to do what he did? Part of the answer, he knew the value of people. Jesus knew the value of others, not the value just of himself, but he knew the value of others. He knew that each human being is a treasure, and because he knew that, because he did, people were not a source of stress, but a source of joy. Max Lucado. From the very beginning of time, Scripture records a a central theme. From the very beginning of of Scripture, we see a series of God dictating and, and talking about relationships in life. God created Adam To be in spiritual relationship with God. To walk in a spiritual relationship with God. And then in Genesis 2.18, God noticed that Adam was in need of something more than just the spiritual relationship with God. Hear me, please. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. Now, uh, again, our our minds immediately go to, well, this is uh, something to do with with, uh, intercourse, something to do with with something deeper, uh, uh, an intimate relationship. But no, what God was talking about is just relationship, the, the physical act of two people coming together, building each other up. It's not good to walk alone. It's not good to be a recluse. God created us to walk in spiritual relationship with Him. And then God also said, I see a need within this man that I have created to walk in physical relationship hand in hand with somebody else. We were created for relationship. After the first sin, both the spiritual relationship and the physical relationship were damaged. Sin created a divide between a spiritual relationship and a physical relationship, not only that we have with God, but also that we have with each other. Now there was going to be labor. Now there was going to be pain. Now there was going to be toil involved in keeping that relationship. The divide that we created, the relationship that was broken. But I I think the beauty, I keep a a postcard in my office that, uh, that Greg wrote to me one time. He's he wrote this down, he had found it in a book, and he said, you know what, the very first words, after sin, after sin had happened, the very first words of God to man, they weren't how dare you, they weren't judgmental, they weren't, they weren't looking down, scornful, no, it was, it was where are you? It was I, I, I miss this relationship. What happened to our relationship? What happened to, to the walking and talking together? What happened to us? Relationship. So then, laws were created to to bring back relationship lost. The Ten Commandments, from the Ten Commandments, we we ended up, the Pharisees wrote 600 and something laws that you had to keep in order to to live correctly in relationship. Man, some of you guys can't even take the trash out, much. let's keep 600 plus laws. But the Father knew that this was not enough. That 600 plus laws was not enough. That we would never on our own be able to to, to sufficiently fill that void, to fill that gap. So, So what did he do? He sent his one and only son to restore relationship. It was only through the life and death of Jesus that we can now walk in spiritual relationship with God. Through the life and death of Jesus, the blood on Calvary's cross, we can now walk in spiritual relationship with God. But also, also... Through the life of Jesus, we see how to walk in personal relationship with each other. So, so if we're supposed to live in relationship, if, we're, if, if daily, if life is about relationships, it would only make sense that we know how to walk in relationship, right? Here it is, Philippians 2 verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So, so the scripture, God's word given to us, his book on how to walk in relationship, not just with him, but also with each other. That's why we have, what we've, we've pinned down is just eight principles that we see in Scripture Jesus used to walk in relationship. Jesus' life was a walk-in relationship with his disciples, with the people around him. It was a life about relationship. God gave us his word as his spiritual covenant with us. So the same, we utilize those principles to live in a physical covenant with each other. One of the reasons why so many relationships fall apart is because most people, most people are unwilling to do the serious, difficult, daily work that relationships require. It takes time. But over the next couple weeks, what I want to do is, is just go through these eight principles. This is probably one of the easiest Uh, Simple messages that that we do here. But it's also probably one of the most practical that you can utilize immediately on a daily basis. How do I live life? How do I live life? And not just, not with a spouse, not just with a boyfriend and girlfriend, I'm talking about with everybody, with boss, with employees, with with everybody that you come in contact with. If you can apply these eight principles to your life, life would change, it would be different. It would be all of a sudden a series of, Joy, not stress. Eight principles for good relationship. Biblical principles that we choose to live by. We believe that these principles provide a a practical way to keep relationships healthy and strong, a source of joy, not stress. The very first one, principles one through eight, the very first one is this, the forgiveness principle. Now, I I will be honest and say up front, this is is the go-to. This is number one. Number one's the go to. You gotta, ideally, this is where it starts and where it ends. Probably the most difficult as well. Probably the most difficult because a lot of us, we, there, there's a tendency, it's human nature to, to hang on to unforgiveness, to hold on to things. Acts 24, Luke. One of the disciples writes, he says, I myself, I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God, without offense toward man. Everything in me, it's striving. Look, look I want to read to you the Amplified Version. Another version, this say, the same scripture says this. Therefore, I always exercise, discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshaken, blameless conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I mean, that's a workout just trying to throw it out there. It's work. It's something that has to be done here. We can't push it off on somebody else. We can't say, well, it's up to you. It starts here. I myself, I myself always strive to, in every aspect, in every aspect of of life, in in every situation, in anybody that I come in contact with, I strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. What causes people to withhold forgiveness? Who, Who are we hurting when we withhold forgiveness? Does somehow their life get worse? Do we hold something over them when we hang on to unforgiveness? No, it's ourself. How many of you have uh, ever had a knot in your stomach when you saw someone? James chapter three verse two says, we all offend in many ways. Anyone who never offends and what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. But but listen here, do you realize what happens mentally, emotionally, even physically when you hang on to unforgiveness? Not, Not to somebody else, not to them, to you. The sleep lost, the stress induced. Scripture talks about bitterness taking root within the heart, and and all of a sudden, when bitterness takes root within the heart, all of a sudden, you start to grow hardened, is what it talks about. You start to become calloused. No longer is life full of joy, but now life is stress. When you don't deal with unforgiveness, we hear just a a couple months back, Pastor Brandon started a, a series on the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he, he, Jesus continues on. He says, pray like this. And he says this. And forgive us, and forgive us, each and every one of us, forgive us our offenses. Some, some translations use trespasses or, or forgive us our debts. But what it's talking about is forgive us the, uh, all of our offenses. What we have done wrong, forgive us, God. As, as we forgive our offenders. Forgive us, God, as, as, as we too, so the same, just as you forgive us, as we too forgive our offenders. And just a, a couple scriptures later, Jesus says this. He says, so, so if you forgive men their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But but if you hang on to unforgiveness, but if you do not forgive men their offenses toward you, neither will your Father forgive your offenses. Ooh, I don't like that one. But now hear me. I, I think we, we, we mistranslate, we, we misinterpret what this is saying. See, a, a lot of us, we were raised up in, in this mentality where God is is this, God the Father is some sort of judgmental, you know, he's, he's just waiting for that opportunity. And we get to heaven, and he looks at you, and he goes, no! In second grade, Johnny stole your eraser, and you never forgave him. Go to hell! <laughs> like. like That's not God. That's not who God is. But what God is saying is, he's saying there's a life principle here. If if you hang on to unforgiveness in your life, all you're doing, you're not hurting the other. You're you're just, you're you're, you're scarring, you're ripping up your own heart. In last week's week's, uh, video, there there was one of the football players that came out and he talked about, God will give you a new heart. Part of that new heart, that that change when you come before Christ is, it's a heart that forgives. It's a heart that says, in, in all things, I strive, I work, I do everything I can to live without offense toward God and toward men. So what process, what are the mechanics that we use to go from unforgiveness to actual forgiveness? Well, That's why we have the eight principles these are these are steps that we see but again every single one of these steps come back to step number one every step that you're going to see from here on out two through eight are, 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 are literally just steps that lead you back to can you can you just forgive and move on Do you have to hang on to it? Or can you just forgive and move on? Now notice I didn't say forgive and forget. That's a fallacy. We cannot forgive and forget. But we can forgive and move on. Put it in the past and continue. Walk forward. There's a, uh, a modern work of art that I was reminded of when I was thinking about this principle. A modern masterpiece, 21st century, brilliant, brilliant. I, I, I dare say it's a, it's a true breath of wisdom in this day and age. It's, it's, uh, it's called men's rules for women. I was inspired, and, and from this thing we get such great golden nuggets. Jewels such as Yes and no are are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. Another point that it made was crying is blackmail. Another one was if we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will believe you. There was another, oh, the depth on this one. Ask for what you want. Subtle hints do not work. Strong hints do not work. Obvious hints do not work. Just say it. But the one I was reminded of, it said this, if we said something that can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other one. <laughs> okay, I, obviously these are, these are cheeky, but, 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 but why, why do we hang on to, we automatically assume the worst. Somebody didn't come to your party, and it's like, well, I I see how they're going to be. I don't know. Maybe they had the flu. Maybe they couldn't come. Maybe something came up that they just, they were unable to come. We automatically go to the worst possible instead of one of the millions of other options there is. Peter, coming to Jesus, says, Jesus, how many times must I forgive somebody in a day? I I mean, God, Jesus, I'm I'm, I'm standing here and -and so-and-so, they did